You're listening to a Ridgewood Church podcast. Ridgewood Church is a part of something big, really big. And I'm not talking about just our denomination, which is large. It's called Converge. It's all over the country and the world. I'm not talking about our community partnerships with other churches in the cities. I'm not even talking about our global missions outreach. We are part of the church of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ is the most important organization or organism and gathering of people that has ever existed. The church of Jesus Christ is powerful. The church of Jesus Christ is absolutely eternal. And in this passage we're going to study today in the book of Acts as we continue to talk about courageously multiplying, we're going to see the church actually begin. And it begins amongst all kinds of commotion and confusion and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power and a sermon that shakes the rafters. And so what we're going to see is that this account describes what God had intended all along through the Old Testament prophets. It's when we got a home, which is the church, and it describes how redemption would now sweep across the entire world. And the exciting thing is, is we're a part of that. We're a part of something big. And so today the text we're going to look at is the day the church began. So if you have a Bible or if you have a tablet or a phone, uh, please take that now and turn to Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. If you don't have any of those, you can just follow along on the screen or you can download the entire passage. We're not going to read every verse this morning, but you can have that in front of you on our app. Acts 2 verses 1 through 41. So turn there if you would and we're going to see this amazing section about how the church was birthed and all of the extraordinary things that were happening around the apostles on what we call the day of Pentecost. But I want to take you to begin with to verse 41 because I want to show you the effect that all of these events had. So this is chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I want you to think about that just for a moment. 3,000 souls were added that day. And these amazing events were what really happened throughout the book of Acts. People got saved. And people got saved in big numbers. That's the theme of the book. It's multiplying. It's the church growing. And the exciting thing is, is it was all predestined by God. It was all predicted by the prophets. And we are now a part of it. And we will be forever. And that's exciting stuff. So first, in verses 1 through 4, as people from all over the region gathered in Jerusalem for what we call the Feast of Pentecost, that's where we get the Day of Pentecost, or it's also called the Feast of Weeks. These feasts are to commemorate God's goodness and provision in the harvest. 
And it occurred 50 days after the Feast of Passover. So we know we're about 50 days out from the crucifixion of Christ. And what's happening here is that God moved. And he moved in a stunning way. And these first four verses chronicle the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The helper that Jesus had promised. So look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, I mean, what a moment. I mean, can you imagine? And so, here's the first point I, I want to make, and that is what's really happening here is that the Holy Spirit came on the disciples with awe-inspiring power, and it would capture the attention of everyone around. Now, the Bible says that this group was in one place, and they were gathered together. In, in 115, it tells us there were about 120 of them consisting of the disciples, the new disciple, Matthias, who had been chosen to replace Judas, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, was there as well. Exactly where they were, not exactly sure. Many speculated it was the upper room where they had been stationed since the crucifixion of Christ and where they hid when they were afraid. But wherever the spot, this was an amazing moment that happened. And if you look at the text here, there was first the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And this denotes the audible presence of God. The scripture speaks often of the Spirit's presence in this way. Ezekiel does as he's commanding and prophesying the wind to blow on the dead bodies in the valley of his vision. Jesus compared the Spirit to wind when he was talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, under the cover of night. And so the Spirit first came as rushing wind. It was audible. Next, Luke tells us that there was fire. And this shows us the Spirit's advent was visible as well as audible. They could see these tongues of fire. And again, this happens other places in the Bible. God met Moses at the burning bush. John the Baptist in Luke 3, 16 and 17 foretold that the Spirit would come and carry out baptism by wind and fire. So what you have here is the incredible, marked, noticeable presence of the Holy Spirit that had come upon this group. And the audible presence of the Holy Spirit was also manifested in another way. As they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in tongues. The words spoken by the disciples were immediately recognized by all of the visitors that had come from all around the region to Jerusalem for the feast. They weren't speaking in strange tongues. They recognized their own particular language. And so that must have been quite stunning. I mean, you're from Egypt, you're from Asia Minor, you're from Italy, 
and these Galileans are speaking your language. And so, quite obviously, what God is doing here is he's introducing the church, he's introducing the Holy Spirit, he's introducing his presence and power in a way that could not be denied. And the church is beginning right here. And so, he still works this way. He was working in a miraculous way, and he still works that way through you, through believers like you. He, he will, by simply trusting God, by, by simply living for Him, He will use you to get the attention of people around you because they're not used to seeing what you have to offer. And here, they, they were near the upper room and this crazy thing was happening and they stopped and they noticed and God got their attention because Jesus had sent His promised Helper And the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, onlookers did certainly react to what they saw. They were amazed at what they saw and heard. It wasn't like they just walked by and said, oh, that's nice. They stopped. They were, at the very least, intrigued, but more likely confused and afraid. So we see this in verses 5 through 8. They heard them speaking in their own familiar native tongues. In verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So, you're from Italy, you're watching this, and they're speaking Italian. Galileans in the middle of Jerusalem. And they're confused. And the subject of the utterance is also important. Verse 11, it was the mighty works of of God. They are praising God. They're worshiping. They're they're lifting up God in front of these people. And it must have been an amazing sight. Because that's what happens when something amazing goes on. People stop. And that's what's happening right now in our own culture. Though it's for completely different reasons. People have stopped. They're frozen in their tracks by COVID-19. And the world has largely come to a halt. And things haven't gotten back to normal at all. And so those around you are asking really important questions right now. They're asking about their own future. How how do I fit into this world that has changed so much in the blink of an eye? What will happen to me if I get COVID-19? And die. How will I take care of my family through all of this? How will I take care of an aging relative when I can't even go visit? These are concerning questions that people are asking. What if I lose my job? Will life ever be normal again? And the amazing thing about this time in our history is that everybody 
is in this at the same time together. I was watching a lot of the 9-11 documentaries and so forth last week, and that was striking, stunning, still can't believe it happened. We were all in that together to a certain extent, but it was really New York that had to bear the brunt of that. This pandemic is everywhere. And so everyone you talk to, everyone you encounter is frozen in fear or at least in some confusion. And so what did they do? They stopped doing whatever they were doing and they noticed. And that's what happens around us right now. You see, here the Spirit had come. There was wind. There was fire. There were languages being spoken that were stunning. And the start of the church was happening right before their eyes. And all of a sudden, they stopped, and there was an opportunity. And so 12 and 13 serve as transitional verses. In 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. And when I say these are transitional verses, what I mean by that is now Luke is going to transition into an amazing sermon that Peter gave in light of all that was happening around him. And in this sermon, we're not going to read every word because it's a long sermon, but it's an incredible summary of the gospel. And the sermon actually serves as a tutorial regarding how to share the gospel. And so we're going to try to pull some truths out of that sermon that can help you as you move into daily life tomorrow. And we can learn a lot here from Peter's methodology. The church was about to multiply. 3,000 souls were about to be added on. And that's because Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, saw an opportunity, stepped forward courageously, and preached his heart out. And then God worked through his courage and his words. And remember, Peter wasn't eloquent. He, he wasn't a trained wordsmith. He was a fisherman. And God used him in amazing ways. And so, verses four, 14 through 40 is where this sermon lies in this text. So here are some tools that we can learn from it. First, Peter helped others understand what they were seeing. And so stepping into another's shoes is a great way to begin a gospel presentation. You notice what's happening around you. You notice what people are experiencing. You notice what that person you're about to have coffee with or go to work and, and sit next to is going on, what's going on in their life. Peter knew what they must have been thinking, so he started right there. He didn't go past that. He knew that they wouldn't listen to him if they didn't have some clarity in what was happening around them. He also knew that the display of God's power was going to get their attention, just like COVID-19 and racial unrest has people's attention right now. So in verses 14 and 15, he refutes the charge of drunkenness. 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, 
Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Probably about nine o'clock. It's too early in the morning for that. You mockers, that's not at all what's happening. And then, in order to help them get further context, again, he's looking at them through their through the situation, through their eyes, he quotes the prophet Joel because he knows they would be familiar with Joel and he's going to talk about the outpouring of God's spirit on the human race, or as it's referred to here, all flesh, 17 through 21. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Well, that pouring out of the Holy Spirit is happening right before their very eyes. And Peter knew they were confused, and he knew that they were drawing some wrong conclusions. So what did he do? He went to something that was familiar. And I loved how Paul did this. When he would speak, you know, when he would go to, to Ephesus and he was standing in, the, in that huge theater, he would say things like, you know, I know that you're interested in spirituality. And I, you know, he would go right to who they were. And that's exactly what Peter's doing here. And Paul did the same thing. And then there's this really interesting description of what had likely happened just a few weeks earlier in 19 through 21. We won't read it, but there he mentions wonders in heaven and on earth, blood, fire, the sun turning to darkness, the moon to blood, all getting ready for the day of the Lord's return. They had experienced just that. Here's an indication of that. This is a really good little summary here by a theologian by the name of B.J. Hubbard. Little more than seven weeks earlier, the people of Jerusalem had indeed seen the darkening of the sun during the early afternoon of Good Friday. And later in that same afternoon, the Paschal full moon, that's a harvest moon, may well have risen blood red in the sky in consequence of that preternatural gloom, this unusual gloom of that horrible day that just kind of sat over Jerusalem because the Lord had been crucified. And so Peter knew that many of them had experienced this. And so again, he's putting context to what's happening. And it, and it was like a precursor to the Lord's return. But here's one thing that was for sure, and this is in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's walking in their shoes. What are you seeing? That this is what you're seeing. And here's the result. That anyone here who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter, Peter's words were courageous, they were right on, and this was the beginning of the church. This is where it all began. He was stepping into their shoes, he's telling them they can be saved, and then, in order to bolster his case that Jesus is Messiah, in verses 20 through, 22 through 28, he proclaimed the Lord's resurrection. Here's another tip as we share the gospel in our own lives. 
Stick to the basics. Jesus is risen. One of the reasons that people are afraid to share the gospel, and one of the things that can tie you in knots, is that people just start asking impossible questions. Well, why does God allow evil? Oh my goodness, I'm already lost, right? Why does God allow people to suffer if he's good? Well, now you're on the defensive. Now you're trying to answer questions that are really unanswerable. What you stick to is you keep steering it back to Jesus Christ, to what happened with Jesus. He died and he rose again. And now he lives and he's inviting you to be his child. You stick to that. Yes, I know those are important questions, but let's talk about Jesus. And, and Peter did a remarkable job of that here. He, he's talking about the Lord's resurrection. And, and as he's talking about that, the church is already showing signs of multiplying. And the result was a claim of the Lord's Messiahship in 29 through 36. But he went step by step. He used the context and then he gave the information. And so when sharing Jesus, stick to the basic. The Lord has risen. Jesus is Savior. But Peter wasn't finished yet. He needed to make the offer of salvation. He needed to make it clear what one must do to be saved. And so when you're sharing the gospel, make sure you lay out a clear path to salvation. Don't leave it muddled. Make it clear what one must do to be saved. Tell them the truth. If you looked at this, you could say Peter went too far. That he was offensive. That, that he was incredibly politically incorrect. But if you, if you look at verses 37 through 40, after cutting into their hearts with the words, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified... That's not politically correct. He said this in 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Do you see how the truth elicited that question? Oh my goodness. What shall we do about this? In 38, and Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, context. You'll get that over there. Do you see what's happening? You'll get that. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, I know it's really popular to say in our day, wow, things have gotten so much worse. This must be the end. We've never had it like this. I'm not so sure. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. The nature of mankind really hasn't changed. What is Peter doing? He's telling them how to be saved. Making the offer. The message was, believe, repent of your sin, be baptized, which really isn't salvific, but it's part of this process of becoming a part 
of this church and, 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 and professing faith and then save yourself from this crooked generation. It's simple, it's profound, but it's clear. They knew exactly what they had to do. And they knew they had to do it because Peter wasn't messing around. You crucified him. Well, what are we going to do about that? And in our day, it's you have a sin problem. You are destined for hell. Unless they hear that, why would they ask that question? What am I going to do about that? And then what happened? We're right back to 41. The kingdom multiplied. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see, nonbelievers respond to truth. And, and Peter courageously did that. He let the Holy Spirit lead, and multiplica multiplication happened. The church started right there. There was this incredible display of power. The Spirit came, and miracles began to happen. And those miracles are still happening today. When you and I step out courageously, and when we trust God's power, when we share the saving message of Christ in our own way, God can use us as individuals. God can use us as a church because we are a part of something bigger. We are a part of something that's so important. And the apostles stepped up. They, they did their thing. They're people just like us. Peter had to have courage to step up and preach like that. The church is moving forward now, and we're a part of it. And it started right there at that moment. And now it's our turn to continue what they started. So let me pray. God, thank you for this amazing inspiration, this amazing text that helps us understand your power and our role. And God, I just pray that we would be unafraid to be Christians in a crooked generation. That we'd be unafraid just to live our lives for you and, and just do whatever you call us to do. And to be open and to be looking around for things that are happening in people's lives so we can see the world through their experience and use it as a foundation to tell them that there's hope. And I pray in my own life as I encounter non-believers that I would just be there to offer a word of encouragement. There to, to tell them, you know, this isn't all there is. There's more. And then as the relationship progresses, come to the point where they may say to me, what must I do? And so God, it's not going to happen unless we tell truth, unless we live that truth. And so I just pray that we would come together and do that and watch the world change. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.